Let's just be quiet and ask God to speak to us as we open our hearts. Lord, give us listening ears and open minds and the courage to respond and follow you. You know what each of us need to hear this morning, whether that's comfort or challenge. So Holy Spirit, speak to us now, we pray. Amen. Am I all right standing in front of this, or is that a distraction? I'm okay that way. Okay, fine. So, we're leaping into the book of Acts. It's a huge and exciting story about how those early believers learned to sense and follow the Holy Spirit in their lives. So, it's a massively exciting, there's no dull chapter in Acts. It's just excitement all the way. And we find ourselves pitched into this story by this description of the new community. And then look, we're going to be thinking about the realities of who they were called to be and who are we called to be and how are we called to live. And we're going to be thinking about those on every single uh, Sunday morning, but through the lens of different stories. In the book of Acts, there's a sense that God is doing something new with the whole of humanity. Every chapter is full of a breathless sense of amazement at what God is doing. There's a very real sense that God is driving the story. The apostles and those early believers are just playing catch-up. Is that it's called the Acts of the Apostles, but it could more accurately have been called the Acts of the Holy Spirit with the disciples running along behind asking for explanations. But that wouldn't have been quite such a snappy title for the book. This story, the key word in it, in this opening few chapters, is astonishment. I wonder what astonishes you. Has anything astonished you lately? I went away after last Sunday and looked up what a blue-footed booby was because Mabel told me that she was astonished by a blue-footed booby and, yes, it was a truly astonishing bird. This morning over breakfast, we watched an Austrian win a gold medal in a cycling road race. That was a truly astonishing achievement. But what astonishes you? We're going to be thinking about what astonishes us. In these opening chapters of Acts, astonishment is a word that comes again and again. The disciples are filled with wonder, amazement. The crowd is astonished in chapter 3 when the beggar is healed. In chapter 4, the rulers and elders and teachers of the law are astonished at Peter and John at their wisdom and teaching. And in chapter 5, there are many miraculous signs and wonders reported. So there's a whole sense of excitement that God is doing something new. A commentator has written, Acts is full of energy and excitement. The early Christians are finding God doing new things all over the place, and they're learning to take the good news of Jesus around the world. And that is still our calling, to sense God leading us to new things, 
to take transformation to our world. This is explosive stuff. We should really have hard helmets on and safety glasses. The passage that we've heard is a condensation of everything that was going on in the early church. In those six or seven verses that we heard, we heard of the practice and everyday experiences of the early church. It's a bit like a snapshot. It's a bit like a postcard. Now, I want you to think about a postcard. The whole point of a postcard is that it gives you the best view of a subject. People don't take postcards of things that are not particularly attractive. So this passage is a bit like a postcard. It is a golden moment in the life of the newborn church. The sun has broken through. The recent events of Jesus' life and death are becoming clear. The Holy Spirit has been given. There's radical, life-altering stuff going on. The disciples are full of joy and expectation. There's a sense of buzz and excitement that something momentous has just happened and they're on the cusp of it. The only thing missing from these six verses that persists throughout the rest of the book of Acts is persecution. Persecution crops up frequently. The disciples find themselves thrown into jail, warned, flogged, thrown into jail again, over and over again. That happens all the way through the story. So apart from that element being missing, this is a rather rosy picture of early church life. And it is astonishing. It's wonderful. And I don't want to take away from that. But I want to ask you how you feel about rosy moments and whether or not you feel more comfortable with a rosy moment or a realistic, honest, true moment. We are hard to impress, aren't we, for lots of reasons. Astonishment is not an emotion that comes very easily to us. We've become a little bit jaded and a little bit cynical in our very high-tech world. We're not so easily impressed. And we must be careful as we come to the story of Acts because we're very familiar with it. 2,000 years down the line, astonishment might not describe our response. Sometimes that's because we've allowed ourselves to become infected by cynicism. And sometimes it's because we've been disappointed by experience. If it's cynicism, it is cynicism that makes me say, if it sounds too good to be true, then it probably isn't true. So it is an appropriate degree of cynicism that makes me flip, uh, click delete on my phone when I get one of those texts promising me that I've won £1,500 if I just call this number. Yep, I'm pretty cynical about those, and I delete them, and that's appropriate. But it is easy, you know, sometimes for this sense, this good sense, to slide into cynicism. And that erodes our faith and confidence in what God can do and wants to do. But sometimes it's the experience of disappointment, disappointment in the past that holds us back from faith and trust in God. We might have been disappointed with others. Or we might even have been disappointed with God. So what begins as a realistic acknowledgement of a 
sad reality can sometimes slide into hopelessness. So I wonder how a rosy picture makes you feel. It might make you feel excited and full of longing and thinking, oh, I want to be part of that community. And we are already part of that community, and isn't that wonderful? Or it might make you feel, ooh, this looks so perfect, I'm not quite sure if I fit in, because I'm not really very perfect. I'm not too sure of myself. Maybe all that devotedness and selling possessions and meeting daily, whoa, that all sounds a bit intense. Do you know, I'll be honest with you, I'm not as drawn to rosy pictures as I am to honest stories of imperfection. I'm very much more at home with an honest story of imperfection than too rosy a picture. In the Bible, God forms his family twice over the whole story of the Bible. So just to give you a quick whiz back to Genesis, which I occasionally reread, he forms his family from the first time in Genesis. A brilliant story. Um, but what amazes me each time I read it is just how very imperfect those early patriarchs were. Talk about dysfunctional. By the time you've got through the sibling rivalry and the deceits and the playing favourites and then moved on to the drunkenness and the faithlessness, you might rightly decide that these people need a therapist or a psychologist or a sociologist or, or some sort of ist. They're not the Waltons. And if that cultural illusion goes over your head, that's because that just shows you how old I am. You know what, most of you probably mean what, know what I mean by saying they're not the Waltons. Those early people that God formed into the people of God were not the rosy, simple, clean-living, honest, upright people. But here's the astonishing thing. God was thrilled to be known as their God. And this is the heart of the astonishment this morning. We should rightly be astonished and amazed at the sheer friendliness of God, that he includes every single one of us, very ordinary and fallible people. When you hear phrases like, uh, from the Old Testament, like, I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, we tend to put a sort of sonorous voice on and think God is being, um, you know, this sounds rather marvelous. But actually, what God is saying, given what we know about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is I'm content to be the God of any Tom, Dick, and Harry, to put that in the vernacular. This is my family, and I love them, and I'm thrilled to be their God. So that was the first time that God formed the people of God, and Acts tells the story of the second time that God is forming the people of God. And wonder of wonders, yet again, he does it with a bunch of ordinary, imperfect people. If you do take up the challenge of reading Acts one chapter at a time, you will discover that you will hear about an equal set of people who mess up or fall out or whose lives are not all they could be, but they met Jesus. And the mark of the church is that they love one another in spite of their failings and imperfections. 
If you look at your reading of Acts that you've got either printed or is, I don't know, you don't want to bring it up on the screen, but there is one word that gets repeated through that reading that we heard. I didn't ask you to listen out for it, so maybe it's unfair to ask you now, but can you spot which word comes three times? It could be the. You're probably right, Jordan. It could be the. Yeah, I didn't count the. <laughs> Does that come three times too? That wasn't the one I was thinking about. The one I was thinking about was together. That actually comes three times. The believers were together. The believers met together. The believers ate together. There was discipleship in those verses. There is service. There is community. There is worship. There is outreach. But most of all, in all those things, there was together. There was unity. There was love. And in our reading from the gospel, Jesus said, the characteristic, the mark by which we must be known is love and unity. They will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. That is the chief characteristic. So what's our response this morning to this picture of this ideal church? Does it feel unreal? Does it feel unlikely? Does it feel even a bit scary? I've told you how Acts unfolds, although I know that many of you will know that for yourself. But bear in mind, in case it makes you feel any better, all of the letters that follow the book of Acts respond in some way or another to correct one way or another in which the church had fallen from this ideal. The Corinthians took sides with one leader against another leader. The Galatians were in danger of forgetting that um, grace was the basis for salvation. They thought maybe circumcision might be important too. Big sigh of relief from certain people in the congregation that they didn't win that argument. The Colossians thought that apart from faith, maybe having the odd mystical experience would also lead to enlightenment. So as we read the New Testament, we find ourselves and we find normality reflected. We are still a bunch of fallen people who do get things wrong. And we, like those early disciples, still live in very challenging times. It isn't okay to look back and think, oh, you know, they had it easy, the Holy Spirit had just arrived, and you know, it was all you know, there was thousands of them. It must have been great. They had a lot of challenges, and we have similar challenges. Commentator Tom Wright wrote this in his introduction to the book of Acts. In Acts, the church is, faces all the puzzles and problems that churches face then and face today. Crises over leadership, money, ethnic divisions, theology, ethics, not to mention serious church clashes with political and religious authorities. It's comforting to know that normal church life, even in the time of the first apostles, was neither trouble-free nor plain sailing, just as it's encouraging to note that even in the midst of all their difficulties, 
the early church was able to take the gospel forward in such dynamic ways. So the reason that they grew in faith comes at the end of that reason. Because you might say to me, with all this talk about imperfection and how we're all sort of fallible, you might be sitting there thinking, Sheila, come on, where's the good news here? Where is the good news? The good news is that God knows how weak and imperfect and fallible we are. And he still loves us. And he can still take his work forward within us and through us. And that is truly astonishing. And that is the good news. And it came at the end of our reading. The Lord added to their number daily. Who added to their number daily? The Lord did. It wasn't them. It was it was the Lord. The Lord did that. They were living out an attractive and infectious lifestyle, a group of people in whom and amongst whom the presence of God could be sensed. And this presence among them is truly astonishing. So let's this morning look at our own hearts and ask God to help us to put aside anything that might hold us back from faith and confidence that God can work in us and through us. To put aside any shade of cynicism, to put aside any fear, disappointment, because it is God who is at work among us, and we must focus on God and not on ourselves. Let's have and ask God again to have that sense of astonishment amongst us that God would come among us to spread his kingdom, to use us to his glory. So let's just be still and quiet and then I'll pray. Lord Jesus, as we began our service, we acknowledge that you know our hearts. So we bring ourselves to you as we are. You know where there are stirrings of excitement. You know where there are shades of doubt or fear or even cynicism. Lord Jesus, speak to us afresh about your astonishing love for us. Renew and strengthen our love for one another and be found in our midst. For we ask this, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.